So this morning, um, all of that to say, that's why you have very few notes on your notes. One little verse, as uh, my team, you know, gets, uh, we were pulling this together this, this past week, and the team always wants, you know, it's always, can I just tell you, this is, you, I'm, I'm going to let you feel my pain for a minute. Sunday comes like two days after it just came. Sunday, Sunday is like, okay, so I did the math the other day, and I've been responsible for 3,800 and about 45 services in my tenure, 3,800. And let me tell you, it felt like they were one after the other. You know, my team, when we do staff meeting on Monday, they said, what are you going to talk about next week? I said, I just birthed the baby yesterday. Don't ask me to get pregnant again hard you know it's just it's all Sunday is coming Sunday is coming Sunday is coming and uh and that's not an excuse that's a reason I'm just giving you the reason um um, walking through the last few weeks has not been easy and so not always been the clearest when it came time to what are you going to talk about on Sunday preacher I don't know when that question comes up on Tuesday, needs to be in the notes on Tuesday. We got to put it, we got we to gotta print it by Thursday because the office is closed on Friday and Sarah wants to put it, you know, get it all straight for you. And I don't know. That was my answer. <laughs> How about let's go with Galatians 5.1 and we'll start there. And Part of my, uh, again, no excuses. I'm not going to make excuses, but I'm going to tell you that the reasoning, my reasoning when it comes to, uh, Pastor Ken, how come you haven't spoken on, up on racism? And uh, I, I was always taught that if you can't share chapter and verse, keep your mouth shut. You can't, if you can't stand toe-to-toe on a particular issue, a chapter and verse, because everybody's got an opinion, don't they? Right? And, and I, I carry the responsibility of knowing that when I say it, I've said it, and you can't get it back. And, you know, in all the years that I've been here, I've, done, I've tried to do my level best to say, is this the word or is this just Ken Kramer's idea? Because Ken Kramer's ideas won't get you from here to Wawa. But, but the word of the Lord will endure forever. And so I've tried to get to the place where I, I communicated truth, not just my view of truth, but truth as best I could communicate it from the Word. And I, and I, I just really felt like, you know, when I, when I listened to the, the, the conversations on the Internet between the different preachers and the different uh, races and all of those kind of things, I didn't know where to add to. that. My, my particular story, my story was not like Danita's. Um, I grew up in, in, in Michigan. There, we had, you know, we, I don't know that we had any other, uh, in, any other, maybe growing up, probably one or two black kids in my entire school uh, moved to Western North Carolina. And, uh, man, we, I got along great with, with all of the, the black folks that were in my circle. And we, I had great friends. And, I, and so I never really saw, I mean, I, I, I saw the issue outside, but I never saw the issue close to me. So I didn't feel like I was prepared to really communicate anything. And, um, and so I, then on, on about Friday night, I started getting this thought because I began to search the scriptures and I began to look and say, okay, the Bible, the Bible tells us very clearly that the Old Testament was written to us as an example and as a warning. 
And racism's not a new thing. Racism's been around since the time of creation. All you have to do is have one person that looks different than another person, and you have the potential for racism, right? And so I began to ask the Lord, Lord, show me where, where we are at. Show me a, show me a pattern. Show me what, what I can communicate maybe that will, will help us to understand. And uh, so I started out with that, just that Galatians 5 passage. But if you know anything about Galatians, you understand that the whole book was written because, the epistle was written because of a division uh, between Jew and Gentile um, as it related to, and it, it culminated right in, in chapter 2. And so in the passage in chapter 2, uh, Paul is talking about the gospel, but then he's saying, Peter was, Peter was in the cafeteria with the other high schoolers, and he was fine sitting with the Gentiles until the Jews showed up. And when the Jews showed up, Peter stopped eating with the Gentiles and went over and ate just with the Jews. And I told him, you're a gospel preacher. You can't act like this, right? Are you understand my paraphrase here? Um, so he was saying, the gospel says there's equality and freedom for, for all races in all generations, and you're acting like, you know, that you're just a Jew, but the gospel is for Gentiles, and you won't, you, you won't sit and eat with them. And I, he says, I opposed him to his face. If you ever want to see a confrontation and have it written down for all of eternity, that would be tough, wouldn't it? I mean, your worst day, your very worst day, codified, written in the scriptures, and you, you have to look at it forever, right? I mean, Christian, millions of Christians have read about Peter and Paul's confrontation right there. You know, and, and then he goes on to say, and at the end of, uh, uh, or at verse 20, the verse that we love to, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless, uh, yet I live, not, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. That the crucified life is what the gospel is all about. So when I'm crucified, I'm not black or white, I'm not Hispanic, I'm not Asian, I'm none of those things, I am his I am crucified. I'm dead to those things. I'm dead to those opinions. I'm dead to those uh, ideals that are, that are based in this world because the gospel is something that's from out of this world, right? Uh, and it calls us to a different lifestyle. And so when Paul opposes Peter, it's because there's, there's this Peter still got this uh, racism thing, which, which just by, I hasten to remind you that the Jew-Gentile controversy is no different than the black-whites, no different than if you lived in China where there are 470 472 different people groups, 80% of which are Han Chinese, and, uh, and the other 471 are marginalized. So racism is not just an American thing. We can't, we can't say, you know, if I go to Uganda, I'm called a Muzungu, and they laugh about it. Oh, you're a Mzungu, you know. Um, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the crazy things that's happened in my life, one of the, uh, one of the weirdest excursions I've ever had is, uh, if you haven't noticed, um, Africans have different hairstyle than, uh, uh, than Caucasians. And, uh, in, and you don't really think about it. You just think, oh, that's kind of cool, different. God's got variety until you go to get your hair cut. And so uh, Stephen Sebiala, kind of my uh, older brother in the Lord there, he said to me one day, I was over there to preach a conference, and, uh, you know, go over there, and he says, Brother Ken, your hair is too long. You cannot preach in the pulpit unless you go get a haircut. 
I said, okay, you know, I'm, I'm a missionary man. I can do it. You know, whatever you need from me, I'm, I'm going to do it. So I go in and, uh, and can go ahead and try it. Those Ugandan barbers looked at me like I was from Mars. They, like, looked at me, trying to touch that hair a little bit, try to figure me out. Cost me three times as much as anybody else walking in there. Took three times as long. They didn't know how to deal with, well, you know, I just, like, just put some clippers on it and go. And then Turnabout was a, a few years back. Uh, uh, Pastor Fred, y'all love Pastor Fred Mugumba. Uh He was with us and uh, he was getting ready. Uh, he stayed with us in our home for about a week. And he said, I said, Fred, uh, is there anything you want to do before you go to New York? And he says to me, he said, well, I'd really like to get my hair cut. Now, this is just a Caucasian looking at a, an African brother. His hair's like this. You know, it's like haircut. Really? You want to get? Yeah, yeah. It's it's getting too long. It's getting too. You know, and uh, I said okay. And so uh, then immediately I had this problem because I'm like I can't take him to the lady that cuts my hair because she's not going to know. So I called Reuben. I said Reuben, help me out, man. Where do I take Pastor Fred to get his hair cut? <laughs> He's like, got to go to Moody's. Okay. And uh, so that alone was a cultural experience. I was like, that is so cool. I never thought it. You know, if you don't stop and think about it, you don't really relate. You know, you don't know. And and uh, so they. In, in, in that setting, they, they had uh, 35 different hairstyles, and you pick the number. And, uh, and so I want that, and I want this, and that's how they did it, and it was done. I was like, that is so cool, you know? Um, the differences, the things you find out as you listen, as you walk together. So, uh, so the thing I want you to get a hold of today, it is for freedom that Christ has made us free. And Everybody, if you were to look at some kind of a continuum, everybody is on some level of continuum of freedom. None of us have yet attained it. We are, we are bound at some level to our own perspective. We are bound at some level to our own pride. We are bound at some level to, you know, to the limiting factor of our understanding. But yet, Christ has made freedom available to us. Are you with me? Now, for, for some of us, freedom, like I said earlier, comes easier. Let me, let me share an analogy with you the other day, uh, with you. Um, this, this, has to do with, um, this has to do with options. So when I was a little kid and my dad, uh, I wanted to learn how to play ball. And so my dad got me playing ball um, the way he knew how to play ball. Because he's left-handed. How many left-handed people are there in the room? Look around. One, two, three. Oh, I can't count your hands twice. I was going to count Bill's hands twice. Just one hand, please. Only vote once. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Oh, okay. So about eight. Uh, I'm actually technically, oh, I, I see that hand all the way up there, Carrie Landry. And um, I'm sorry, I don't always look up. And, uh, and so I'm not actually left-handed, but I play ball left-handed because my dad was left-handed. Go figure. So, um, so I said, Dad, some, one time I, I gave him a fit about it. I said, Dad, why did you, why, I'm right-handed with everything else. Why did you get me playing ball left-handed? And he said, well, when you were a kid, he said, you'd throw the ball with the right, you throw the ball with the left. He said, it was just easier because I'm left-handed. I could show you how to do it. Thanks, Dad. 
started me down. So, so I, I bat left-handed. I throw, uh, I throw with my left. Um, I bowl with my right. Go figure. I don't understand that. If I golfed, and I don't because it's really bad. Uh, if I golfed, I would golf left-handed. But I, I cast with my right and I reel with my left. And so there are certain things that I'm just kind of, somebody once said, you know, uh, um, you know, ambidextrous. I'm not ambidextrous. I'm, I'm amphibious. No. Um, anyway, dad joke. Um, but here's something that I discovered, and, and quite by accident, but maybe it'll communicate something of this idea, and I, I hesitate to even use the word because it sounds so political, but I want you to understand it from this perspective. Okay, we had eight people in here who are, who are left-handed. If a left-handed person goes to buy a guitar or a ball glove or some tools... They will look, and they will find a long shelf for everything that's made for right-handed people and a really small shelf for everything that's made for left-handed people. So when I was seven years old and I went to get a ball glove, I discovered that I had the choice of one. But the right-handed guys had the choice of 700. That's what it seemed in my mind, right? And, and you want to know why? You could say privilege. You could say that because 90%, and this is, a, this is the factual status, 90% of the people on the planet are right-handed, 10% are left-handed, you know, that's a majority rules kind of thing. They get to set the rules. They, they, the, the privilege was that, that uh, you know, probably the guys at Market Ball, ball Gloves recognize, well, we can't, we can't put out just as many ball gloves for people that are left-handed as people who are right-handed because they're 90% are right-handed, 10% are left-handed. You can't just put out the same amount. We'll have all this stock left on our hands. We'll lose all our money. Uh, on I get the marketing side. But when you're the lefty, you don't really care about the marketing side. You only care about the fact that I got no choice, that I have to take what's handed to me because the people who are in charge of this system are dictating it. It works for them, but it doesn't work for me. So I want to take you to a passage that kind of demonstrates I think, a little of this idea. And in, uh, in the book of Joshua, if you'll turn there with me. I won't make too much of the fact that I don't hear pages turning because you probably are looking digitally. But Joshua chapter 1. So, Here's the passage. Joshua, there's this transition that's taken place. Moses has died. Joshua gets tapped to be the guy that carries the people into the promised land. He's one of only two of all the Jews that had left out of uh, Egypt uh, to go into the promised land. One whole generation didn't make it because of their unbelief. 
And, and so here's Joshua, and, uh, and he's, uh, he's about to do this transition. He's about to take people into the promised land, into the fullest part of what it is. This is, this is what Abraham walked through the land to pray for. This, is what, this was the moment. They've been waiting hundreds of years for this moment right? And uh, to, to, to really live in this ultimate freedom of land that they could call their own, crops that they could, uh, you know, that, that they could own, that the, the cities, all of these things, they've been waiting for it. So in verse 10 of Joshua chapter 1, verse 10, so Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your supplies ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. But to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you. The Lord your God is giving you rest and has granted you this land. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan. But all your fighting men, fully armed, must cross over ahead of your brothers. You are here to help your brothers until the Lord gives them rest as he has done for you, and until they too have taken possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan toward the sunrise. Then they answered Joshua, whatever you have commanded us, we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey your words, whatever you may command them will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Now, do you understand the picture that there's a, that you have all the you have the twelve tribes, and then you have these tribes that had said, "Hey, we like this land." They had made a deal with Moses, made the arrangement with Moses east of the Jordan. The, the Jordan River was this boundary line that once they crossed the Jordan, they were no longer in the wilderness, but now they're over into the Promised Land. But east of the Jordan, there had been a conversation, and there's a, a lot of back history on it. But uh, the the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half tribe of Manasseh had said to Moses, can we settle here? And Moses granted them that land and said, you can, you can have this land. If you don't want to go all the way in, you don't have to go all the way in. If you want to settle here, uh, you're at rest. And so there are a time, we don't really know, I don't know, uh, didn't do the backstory. I can probably find out uh, pretty close, but we don't know how long they had settled there, but they literally settled. All the rest of the camp was making plans to go over into the promised land. They were going to cross the Jordan. They were going to go in there. But here's these two and a half tribes, and they had already settled. They had already put things in motion. If they'd spent any length of time there, obviously they'd put their tents up for the first night. But if they knew where they were going to be living, then they probably would have started settling in. You know, how many of you know what I'm talking about when you guys say settle in? How do you? Know? Some of y'all hadn't settled in yet because you still have boxes you haven't unpacked. Now, can I just tell you, if you've been there six years and you ain't unpacked them boxes, just go ahead and sell them now. You'll never need them. And, uh, but, uh, but you know what happens? It takes time to settle in, right? You unpack things. You put things on the walls. You begin to settle in. And so here were these tribes that had already settled in. They had, their, they were, they had already entered into rest. And so in this moment, now it's the time for the rest of the tribes to go in. 
in the word of the Lord to all of the tribes, but to particularly the, the tribes of uh, you know, Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they had a different word, a slightly different word than everybody else's word. And here's what the word was. You can leave your families and your livestock, your children and your wives, you can leave them here, but the warring men, the, the army men, the people able to fight, you are going to be the tip of the spear going into the promised land. You're going to send your fighters ahead of everybody else. Why? There's a, I think there's an implication here that all of the other people that were going in, all of the other tribes had their families still with them. They had their livestock. They were moving in there as a group, but only, only these two tribes could send just their warring tribes because everybody else was back safe on the other side of the Jordan. They, they weren't putting their families in danger. Now they were just fighting on behalf of their brothers and sisters. And this was the word of the Lord. Send your fighting people ahead until they have rest. Do you see an application for us here today? Do you see an application that the freedom in America, you and I may uh, be experiencing that freedom and we never had to lift a finger to fight for it, but some of our brothers and sisters don't have that freedom yet. They haven't been given rest. The promise still remains, but there's a lot of fighting to be done. The promise still remains, but they still need people to come alongside and to stand up on their behalf and say, I'm with you until we get this thing done. I'm with you until we get where we're supposed to go. This is what America was founded on, right? This is, a, and, and so I don't know how much of the American dream you've grabbed a hold of, but some of our brothers and sisters have yet to have attained it. And what ends up happening, because, uh, because uh, folks have settled in and, and we might realize, you know what, the people maybe that created the systems were thinking one way, but they weren't informed about the way other people think, right? And so what needs to happen is we need to have these conversations. We need to sit down and say, okay, this is how I see it, but this is how I've always seen it. Let me see it a different way way. Let me have a conversation that I can be informed because there are things that I didn't realize and that I wouldn't realize except that I'd sit down and have a conversation. And so here it, here it is uh, laid out for us, I believe, in the Word that Joshua is saying, you know what, leave your area of comfort and go to battle for your brothers and sisters until they can enter in to the rest that you already have. Now, here's the danger, right here, here's the danger. You have certain, uh, you have economists in our world. I'm going to use a mathematical illustration, which is very dangerous for me because I don't do math very well. Okay, but I know, I know enough about this, right? So if you, have, if you have a pie and you have that pie has 100%, you can't have more than 100% of pie. You, you, you think you do, but you don't, right? Um, a lot of people think that in business and in life, that it's all a zero-sum game. You know what I'm talking when I say zero-sum? It's got to, it, the whole thing is only going to add up to 100. So, so that means if I have 50% and you have 50%, then, then we're equal. But if I get 55%, then you're only going to have 45%. Can I tell you in life that that is a misnomer? It doesn't work that way. That in order for my brothers and sisters 
to have to to experience freedom in their life on a on a systemic level, not just a personal level, but a systemic level. That's not going to take anything from me. In fact, it's going to enhance my life. It doesn't give me less freedom. It, it lets me uh, it lets me help to uh, help them to appreciate more. It's not a zero sum game, and when it comes to this, you know, when it comes to the, all of these issues that were, it, it, there shouldn't be there shouldn't be this tension. Why? Because it is for freedom that Christ has made us free. So that you and I could walk in freedom. So that you and I could live in freedom. Freedom is not an American thing. Freedom is a God thing. You know, America just decided to say, amen, we believe that. So let's like put it into our constitution because we believe these things. You know, we hold these, uh, uh, we hold these uh, truths to be self-evident, right? That all men are, are created uh, equal. And, and so what we understand that in America and, we, and because we have that, and, but we know we haven't lived up to it yet and some of us hadn't wanted to admit that. But can I tell you, if you go to another country, You've got countries that are run by one regime. You've got countries that are run by one tribe. You've got, you know, as bad as we can, we can look around, and can I just tell you, I mean, this is a human nature thing, right? I mean, I'm not, I'm not apologizing, but we can, we can look and we can, we can pick apart. No matter what, no matter how perfect things are, we can pick it apart. In this side of heaven, it's always going to be that way. But other nations have it a lot worse. So let's just recognize that we, there are people that we need to hear their stories because they are our brothers and sisters. And we need to hear their stories. And we need to say, you know what? First of all, I recognize that is injustice and that's not allowed in the kingdom of God. And it shouldn't be allowed in my life either. And, and I need to learn how to walk with you as my brother and sister. And I, I need to learn how to stand up for you. But, we, but if I don't know what the story is, I don't, if I don't know what the story is, I can't stand up for you. Because Danita had told me her story 20 years ago when, an oper- when we had a situation arise in the local ministerial community. And, uh, and somebody, one of, one of the guys, and it happened to be a, a person of color, and he spoke up, and he, he said to her in front of us all, he said, I don't think you should speak unless your pastor gives you permission. I said, brother, this woman is a woman of God, and she's got a calling on her life, and she doesn't have to ask my permission to speak. She'll speak up for herself, just so you know. That's the way how we, that's how we roll. You know, and you know, the reality, the reality for our black brothers and sisters is not, uh, it's not the reality of our, of us as Caucasians. It's just not, but we don't really know until we, until we've walked with them, until we, you know, until we share. And I I didn't know what was going on with Danita. I, I just knew I needed to talk to her, you know, but uh, you know, a lot of times the first thing we do is we prejudge what the conversation is going to be about. We kind of like, oh, I can summarize it in my head. I think I know what's coming. You don't have a clue. You don't have a clue. And you don't want to go in there with your ears already clogged up with, what, with your pre- preconceived thoughts. Because you will not arrive where you need to. You won't get at the truth. And that's what the word says. You'll know the truth. And the truth will make you free. Not your truth. Not my truth. His truth. You'll know the truth. And the truth is what makes us free. And that's what any of us can hope for, right? And so I'm really encouraged about, about this meeting together. Let me just, I want you to spend a little time in that text. But I, 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 really, I really want us to get a hold of this thought right here. And, and uh, we're going to just close in prayer here in just a minute. 
But I, I want you to get a hold of that. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan, but all your fighting men, fully armed, must cross over ahead of your brothers. You are to help your brothers until the Lord gives them rest as he has done for you and until they too have taken possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Right? You leave your comfort zone. You leave the place that's familiar. You go to the place that's unfamiliar. And you don't do it because there's something wrong with you. Well, I'm not racist. You don't do it because of that. You do it because the Lord's already given you rest. And now you're contending for somebody else's rest, not your own. And you're going to know when they have rest, when they tell you. When they can look around and they can say, okay, we have slayed this enemy. I can, I can set my house down right here. I can, I can put my field out here, put my garden out here. I, can, I know the perimeters around me now. That, they, they, any, all anybody wants, all anybody wants is freedom. Why? Because God put that in us. He put that in us. And so let's, let's stand this morning. I'm going to pray, but I'm going to, Danita, would you come on up and pray? I, I want Danita to pray for us. And, uh, and I'm excited. She, she and I are, are working together on, uh, on putting this talk together in August. But, um, you know, but I, w- I want us to pray that the Lord would put, uh, would put a fire in our belly for what, uh, that, what, others, what others don't have that we have. What others don't have that we have. You got to get to the place where you realize that sooner or later what you have is enough. And you got to look around you and say, who doesn't have? Who doesn't have? I was, uh, this, this comes in a number of ways. Sometimes it comes financial. Uh, one day I was, I, was, uh, I was talking to Holly and she was relating a story about a single mom who, uh, who uh, worked at our child care. And she had a car that was always breaking down, always breaking down, always breaking down. And it just struck me that I'm somehow responsible that, that my influence can help this woman's economy. And I prayed because if, if you know anything about the market and you understand there's not a lot of money in child care, go, go figure. The most precious possessions we have and our school teachers are paid less. Folks who work in the child care industry paid less. And, and that's a broken system. So then I look and I say, Lord, I don't want to be a part of a system where people can't afford to have cars that drive down the road without falling apart. She's putting her kids in this thing. She doesn't have a husband to help take care of her. What can I do about that? What can I do about that? What can I do about that? What can you do about people of a different color who don't experience the rest and the freedom that you do? What can you do? Well, that's the question. So let's do some listening. And let's ask the Holy Spirit to drop something into our hearts because he's got a plan. He's got a plan. I don't want my plan. I want his plan, right? I want his plan. 